0: Hey, brother, there's an endless road to rediscover. Hey, sister, know the water's sweet, but blood is thicker. Oh, it's sky... Welcome to the Reform Brotherhood. Brothers don't shake hands. Brothers gotta hug. I'm Tony. And I'm Jesse. Brother... I'm going to have a brother? (laughs) I've always dreamed about having a brother. If you'd like to join our brotherhood, you can join our Facebook group. You can email us at reformbrotherhood at gmail.com, or you can find us on Twitter at reformbrohood.
1: You can also subscribe and rate us on iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, or anywhere else podcasts are found.
0: Hey, brother. Hey, brother. Hey, brother-in-law. Hey, brother. Hey, brother. Tony, what's good? You know what's good? I'll tell you what's good. The Society of Reform Podcasters. Oh, that is so good! Tell me more about that. So we, as we announced last week, we just started this new network. Uh, There's three shows. There's us. There's Fast God stuff with you and Conrad, and then there is uh, Reformed Outlook with Matt and whoever shows up that week. Matt Butts. We just launched our new website, and I have to say that I cannot believe that this domain was still available.
1: It's that's true. It's glorious. What is the website?
0: The website is ReformedPodcasts.com. Boom. How did nobody get this domain before? I have
1: no idea except for the sovereign superintending will of God.
0: Yeah, I, I just can't even imagine. So we've got this new website. The website is still a work in progress, but it's functional and it uh, looks great. Um, There'll be some changes to it as we finalize some details. But head over to reformpodcast.com. There's links to all the shows. Um, You can click through to to the individual websites. Um, And just to shout out, Conrad's been doing most of the work on the website, and he's done an awesome job so far. He's the man. So, Jesse, what are we talking about tonight?
1: Well, we're talking a little bit about gathered worship again on the Lord's Day. But this is something that I've just been processing because I've had like a crazy week, crazy awesome week. So I've just come out of five days of helping with my own church with VBS, mainly just the music, as I mentioned before. And I was just reminded again, VBS is just controlled chaos. Like it's just straight crazy.
0: It really is.
1: Yeah, it's all energy all the time. It's all hype over God. It's really great, but it also just makes you really tired and thankful for the Sabbath, which I am especially on this day. But one of the things I always look forward to with VBS is when it ends, not just it ending being glorious, but that is in a (laughs) sense also nice. But when it ends on that Sunday afterwards, we always, as part of like the music team, do a couple of the songs from VBS and have the kids come forward and do all the motions and sing into it. And man, I love that because it is so instructive because these kids are just sold out. There's no inhibition about singing up front, everybody about praising the Lord, lifting their voices loudly, which is cool. And also doing all the motions, which of course involves raising their hands and dancing around a little bit. I love that stuff. Yeah. And one of the things that I've been processing that I want to throw out tonight to talk about, and let's just let's just get right at it, right at it. So here's the question. Is it, as part of our gathered worship, is it mandatory for us to sing? And that's kind of, one of where I'd like to start, at least. If that's okay with you, Tony. So, hit me. What do you feel about that? Is it mandatory for us to sing?
0: Yes. Next question. <laughs> that this has been the Reformed Brotherhood, folks. Thanks very much. Honor now, I'll, I'll, I'll elaborate a little bit more on that. So, um, I think. By both example in the scripture, um, particularly in the Old Testament, um, I mean, we have an entire book of Psalms that is the songbook of the church in the Old Testament, the Old Covenant period. That is actually correct. But then also by prescription in the New Testament, we have commands to sing. So um, there's Colossians 3.16 and a, a parallel statement in Ephesians that says, Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts. So I have a follow up question for you. All right, hit me. So what psalms are you teaching these kids to have hand motions to?
1: Oh, that is a good question. <laughs> so, uh, that's a really good question.
0: Actually, I would
1: say that, um,
0: it's a the lot imprecatory of the music songs, that right? What's that? <laughs> I said, it's the imprecatory psalms that you're teaching them <laughs> hand motions to, right?
1: Yes. That is the VBS theme of this year. It was exactly that. Imprecation, yes. Yeah. Actually, somebody should do that. Has somebody done that yet?
0: I- imprecatory Psalms with hand motions? Yes. I feel like those might be like PG 13 hand motions. That. Because <laughs> like dashing babies on rocks and stuff probably is not a friendly VBS topic.
1: But you know what? That would be some really great hand motions. Like people would be into that <laughs> because it's like very demonstrative. So that yeah. would be actually pretty awesome, probably. That's true. That's So true. we didn't touch a lot of those, but there were, you know, a lot of the stuff that we sang was had strong fidelity with the scriptures, pulling a lot of just just straight out of the Bible. And it was great to see the kids get excited about this. And kind of to that point, before we get back to whatever brilliant stuff you were saying, I'm always impressed because like the energy they show, especially toward the end of the week. It's one thing to say like, well, not all these kids understand what they're singing. That may in fact be true for some kids, especially the younger ones, but there are some that definitely understand what's going on here and they're stoked about it. And that's, again, that's, that's instructive for me. Um, but I, have totally derailed this conversation. So uh, back to what you were saying.
0: Well, I think, um, you know, trying to tie in with that VBS theme is one thing that you don't see with kids is kids who are embarrassed to sing. True. I've never met a kid who, like a kid, like a like a, uh, school-age kid that's embarrassed to sing. And it makes me wonder, like, at what stage of development do we suddenly learn to be embarrassed to sing? Because mm-hmm. it seems like most adults, especially adult men, have this sort of, like, fear or embarrassment of singing. And right. I, don't, I don't know where that comes from. I mean, maybe it's because that we finally hear our own voices long enough to realize we're terrible singers or something like that. But I know some people that are fine singers that are still still have this sort of weird embarrassment or like fear of singing in public.
1: Yeah, for sure. I mean, that's a good point because again, that's something that I've been wrestling with. And it seems like once if you become self-aware and you realize my voice is awesome, then you have a penchant for singing. And if you realize the opposite, then you're like, I'm just gonna kinda kinda keep it chill. And so the, the question that I'm struggling with is If the scripture makes singing, especially in gathered worship, we're kind of putting it into a a narrow circumstance. If that is mandated, if that is necessary, then my fear is that maybe we're not doing that well or as good as we ought to. There are some commands, if they're on par, so for instance, if obeying your parents, if serving the Lord, if giving of tithes and offerings, if those are all necessary, if those are all really well prescribed in the scriptures, which they are, when you come to singing, there is also so much that the Lord makes clear that the call to worship is from him. But some, in some way we're, we're really quick to say, well, that's like a matter of preference. And my preference is not to sing or I don't sing really well. So I'm just going to kind of be quiet and be very stoic during the time. So again, this goes back to, is that appropriate?
0: Yeah. And I don't think it is. I mean, that's, that's kind of something, you know, Ashley and I used to go to a church in Massachusetts and we, um, there were some kids in the youth group that we were working with that were like really kind of trying to say this lovingly, but like they were problem children. Like they were constantly causing trouble. They were constantly not paying attention. And you could really tell that like they were only at church in any regard because their parents were making them. And you know, just kind of like reasoning out and trying to think through like, well, why why is that? Like what what about this? We have two parents that are seemingly Christian, um, who are active in the life of the church their kids don't seem to care about the church. And that's, that's kind of a, a unique situation. And I, so I started observing the family when I noticed his dad, dad stands during worship with his hands folded very quietly. He doesn't sing. And now I don't want to say like that caused his children's problem, right? but like, there's a level of, of almost like rebelliousness in that, that I don't think people realize is that we are commanded in scripture to sing. And so if we choose not to, then we're, we're either saying to God, I know that you told me to do this, but I don't want to. I'm not good at singing or I'm embarrassed or whatever, or we're saying like, God, you don't have the authority to even ask me to do that. Or even worse, like maybe God didn't ever say that. And then what do you do with, I mean, I don't know what you do with, with passages like the Colossians passage I just read where it says, sing, sing to one another, sing Psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, whatever, whatever that complex of word means, it can't mean less than sing. Because it's, I mean, it's pretty explicit in the text. I mean, <laughs> right. we can we can argue different people argue about like, well, what are you singing? What are you supposed to be singing? What's the manner you're supposed to be singing? What style do you sing? And all of those are, I think, legitimate questions in their proper order. But the the baseline is you have to sing of some in some way, and that's that's one of the ways that God commands us to praise Him. And We don't get to say no.
1: That man, that is spot on, and I'm not just saying that because you're my brother-in-law, but that <laughs> you're, you're hearing my heart on this because. That's the tension that I'm kind of living in right now. And especially as trying to want to do well with the mantle the Lord has given me to lead people into worship through music. That's one of those hard things. And I know that this, when you get into music in gathered worship, it's like always like dropping a bomb. Like it's somewhere between, you know, eschatology and baptism because (laughs) we tend to, and even I do this, mistake style and substance or we all have our pensions for what we'd like to right. hear and what we'd like to participate in. But yeah. I think as I've grown in maturity on this, I hope, I'm feeling that it's exactly as rigid and as hard-edged as you described it, that this can be perceived as an act of rebellion. Yeah. So when the psalmist in particular is giving a call of worship that's been inspired by the Holy Spirit to sing for joy before the Lord, to shout joyfully to the rock of our salvation, that that is a direct command in a sense. And so but we're so quick oftentimes to like be the kind of people that say i'm just not into that or i'm not a singer but isn't that the right. same as saying like well you know god says through moses obey your parents and to be like well i'm not really an obedient person so yeah. i'm just going to kind of be like that's that one i'm not going to really like come to with any kind of great sense of commitment to right. so i don't know how we kind of encourage each other to say like it doesn't matter what you sound like cuz god's clear that that's not the issue but but there is the sense that it's revealing a heart issue when we choose not to sing.
0: Yeah. And I think I think some of what has caused that in the church is the movement in general from worship, worship being the entire activity of the church. So that's the first thing, the movement from worship being everything that the church does, particularly on the Lord's Day when they're gathered. So the the shaking hands with people when you get there is part of worship, the fellowship aspect, the passing of the offering plate, the reading of the scripture, the sermon, all of that is, uh, is worship. Moving from that to being like the 15 minutes that we sing and some hymns, like that's worship. So there's that. But I think the movement of it being what we offer to God because he's worthy of it to being what God gives us an emotional experience. So Mm -hmm. if, if, If worship singing, worship, if if musical worship is about me and my my experience and what I get from it, then if I'm not a singer and I don't get anything from it, then why do it? And so that's that's the shift is like, well, I come to church in order to be fed. I come to church in order to get something from God. And so I'm going to get that the way that works for me. So I think that like the first step in sort of a robust understanding and a movement back towards singing in the church has to be sort of a, a, so as we so often run into on this show is it has to be a theological foundation that gets, gets repaired because if you don't have the proper foundation for what singing worship is, You're never going to, you're never going to be able to practice it correctly, no matter what you do. Even if, even if you're singing with all your heart for joy, if you're singing to the Lord because of what he gives you rather than because he's worthy of this praise, then you're still not really doing what the scriptures have commanded you to do.
1: Right. So Yes. So much of this is, is having our minds renewed and transformed so that our hearts are in agreement with what is actually going on. That, as I said before, like the, the intent must precede the content. Right. And that's certainly true here. It's just, I, I, de- I desperately, as somebody who who is often playing of some kind of instrument or trying to be thoughtful and making sure that the music is biblical and accessible and approachable, I want to see people participate in this, because not just because we are embracing our consumerist culture, but because God is worthy of this kind of response from us. So what you said was a really good segue into... Something that I've been trying again to process, and that is, and I want to throw this out for discussion because I think there's lots of reasons, and some of this you already kind of stated. But for somebody that's like, I'm not really into music, or, or I mean, which is probably pretty rare, but I'm not really into, let's say, the style of music at my church, or there are sometimes where you know I dig one song but not the other, or I just don't feel that motivated, or my voice, I don't feel it's particularly good, or I'm a little embarrassed to sing. I want to throw out there for us to discuss why do we sing? So what's some reasons that like we take away from that compel us to say not only is this right and God is worthy, but why we should do
0: it. Yeah. So going back to the Colossians passage, I'm going to read it again here. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your heart. So I think, you know, obviously we don't ever want to be building our entire theology on one verse. Um, Not that you can't draw legitimate conclusions from one verse, but you want to have a, a robust, you know, grand picture of Scripture and you want to draw from all of Scripture. But just looking at this, what do we have? Well, you let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. How do you do that? You do that by teaching one another and admonishing one another in wisdom. And how do you do that? By singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs And you do that with thankfulness in your heart. So there's these elements to it that singing, corporate singing in worship is in many ways, um, at least it was supposed to be, uh, in many ways was another teaching arm of the church. So you have the preaching of the church. And this this is one of the main reasons that the reformers wanted to get back to singing psalms in the church. And we can argue about exclusive psalmity, whatever, but Mm -hmm. there's no denying that the singing of psalms was of particular importance in the Reformed tradition. All across the board, there was a priority given to psalm singing that was not uh, given to other things. And most of the time, they wanted to be singing scripture, even if it wasn't the psalms. And the reason for that is because they had the preaching of the word. Most people couldn't read the word, but they could hear it preached. But then they could sing and they could participate in the proclamation of the gospel by singing scripture, by singing the psalms. So I think that that's, that's one of the reasons that we should you know, as you say, we should be really cautious about the songs that we're singing. I remember when we talked about worship, you said something that struck me that your worship leader is very literally putting words into people's mouth to be spoken, spoken to God. So there's a gravity to that, that we have to be cautious of what words we're putting in front of people's mouths. So we're not putting heresy in their mouths. We're not putting um, self-centered nonsense into their mouths. We should be putting rich, theologically astute and, and solid songs into the mouths of the people so that when they sing, they're internalizing that that teaching in a way that hearing the spoken word or even speaking doesn't, right? Does that make sense?
1: Yeah, that makes perfect sense. I, I know that verse took a huge, that section from Ephesians 5 took a huge turn for me personally when I actually read it and was spending some time meditating on it because that's one of the things like you hear from time to time. And I guess I always assumed that what was being addressed there by Paul was sing lots of songs to God. But as you just read it, it's address one another in right. Psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. So this a sense that drew me back into this understanding that worship through Jesus is not redefined in a way, but it is transmuted, as we've also talked about before. So all of life becomes worship, of which music is part we, in Jesus Christ through his, his sacrifice. But we get this special rite of edification when we come to gathered worship on the Lord's Day, and singing helps us teach and be taught. So it's basically like the I always like to think of it honestly is the sermon that we preach to ourselves in our own voice. Yeah. And so obviously the primary way we're taught when we gather is through a pastor faithfully expositing God's word. But tall, but Paul tall. He was not tall. Paul is essentially <laughs> saying that in Colossians three we sing and to also teach and admonish each other. Right. So I mean I think you're right on that. That's probably the biggest thing that would change how we understand it. Would I be more inclined to sing? This is the question. Would I be more inclined to sing if I understood that when I'm doing that, I'm teaching myself and my neighbor? And I I hope the answer for all of us would be yes, that's something valuable to participate in.
0: Yeah. And I'm I'm not usually one to say that the silence speaks. Um, I think arguments from silence are usually not so great, but the silence in this one and how it's applied to our modern context, it just screams at me is the one thing that's missing here is there's nothing about encountering God. There's nothing about, um, f- you know, the emotionality that accompanies so much modern worship. The, this is how I, this is how I receive from God. All of that is completely absent. Now that's not to say that we don't encounter God in, in song worship or anything like that, but that's not, at least according to this passage, that's not the point in any way of why we sing. We don't sing, you know, it, it's true that like music presses a special button in our li- in our minds, right? The the speech center of the brain is different than the song center of the brain, so much so that like someone who's had damage to their speaking portion of their brain can usually still sing. So right. like they're different parts of your brain, and so they do different things. They touch us in different ways. Uh, that's why a lot of times it's helpful if you need to memorize something to set it to song because it it gets into your brain a different way. But that that fact that like songs are more emotional or they touch us in a special way, all those things that modern worship leaders point to to like emphasize why singing is important, the Bible says nothing about that. Right. So that doesn't mean it's false. It just means that's not that's not what the Holy Spirit thought was important enough to tell us. Right. Um so we have to take all that with a grain of salt and recognize that like the reason that God commands us to sing is not because that's a special way that He meets with us, or not because um you know, because our emotions are more engaged when we're singing or all of this stuff. It's because he wants us to teach and admonish one another in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. And like, that's a real, like, there's a gravity to that. I think that is is. really, really important. And it goes back to the VBS thing, right? Why, why? I mean, I've been involved in a couple VBSs and I know the ones that we did, we never talked about like, why are we doing things the way we are? And I don't know if, if you guys did, but the reason if you read some of like the literature of people who develop VBS curriculum, the reason they include songs is because of the teaching element of songs, because it helps the kids memorize facts and things about Jesus. And that helps them move towards a confession of faith because they know the facts of the faith. And so then they can, they can apply those facts to their lives and appropriate them into their hearts. So, I mean, the teaching element of it is all the way through.
1: Yeah. Which I'm always impressed when, Well, that impresses the wrong word from what I'm about to say, but I'm always not surprised when like (laughs) psychology catches up to where God has been all along in terms of how he's designed us and what he's commanded us to be or to do. And singing is one of those things. So just like you said, singing definitely helps us remember God's word. We've already spoken about Colossians 3.16 in terms of letting the word of Christ dwell richly in us through the things that we sing. So there is, I think at this day and age, it's beyond doubt that music has a strong effect on the brain and that every culture has songs like rhymes to help children learn the alphabet or numbers or other lists. And even as adults, we're limited in our ability to memorize a series or to hold them in our mind unless we use some kind of mnemonic devices or patterns. And the most powerful of those are rhyme, meter, and song. So this is why I think it's brilliant that God would say, you ought to sing to me and about me and for me. Because that just reinforces and builds that stuff in our minds. I was just talking to a good friend the other day who was telling me that her daughter remembers all of the presidents of the United States because of a song that she learned in elementary school. Or I have like mm-hmm. another friend who went to seminary and the way that he learned the Greek alphabet was to like the tune of Joyful Joyful or some some other hymn. And yeah. that's why it's it's like firmly cemented. So God has given us this wonderful tool. It's almost as like we're saying, I don't want to put that in my tool belt. I'm just not interested. Right. Uh, it's just really short sight. So it's really a great gift, even though we think, well, it's, it's corny or kitsch to sing like in public, in a group or in crowd, because that that's like an old thing that people did. Like, no, this right. is timeless. Singing is our eternal contemporary. It's something that God has given us as a device to help us make sure the word dwells richly in us. So I'm worried like we give up that gift. We just pass it by.
0: Yeah. And I mean, how many more... I mean, we're kind of circling around the same stuff and and that's because it's really important. But like how, how many other areas of our lives do we look at something that we believe is a gift from God and just pass? I mean, I, I can't think of anything that we would consciously do that about, you know, we may question whether something is actually a gift from God, but if we're convinced that God has given it to us as a gift, then we accept it. And you're absolutely right. Singing is a gift from the Lord. Like you didn't have to do it that way. And, um, You know, his infinite wisdom in designing, not only in designing what he would command us to do, but designing us as creatures to respond to him in a certain way, to appropriate information in a certain way, and then to um, to design the thing called singing in order to fill that need and to communicate to us in that way. It's just the sovereignty of God in how that all works, even even in the fact that like certain notes sound good together and other notes don't sound good together like every you know there's a very scientific reason for that that certain waves certain sound waves bounce off against each other and they they create dissonance and other sound waves kind of nestle in with each other and they create harmony right i know that there's probably some physicist somewhere that's like throwing his computer across the room because i (laughs) butchered that but like at the fundamental level listenership (laughs) yes at a fundamental level like certain sounds conflict and certain sounds go with each other. Right. And God designed that, you know, he could have designed it a different way, I guess. Um, but he didn't. And that's just an amazing thing that I think points more to the importance of singing is how much like sound impacts the human person. How much of it is ingrained into like who we are and what what we do, um, you know, even th- little things like how sensitive our ears can be. You, know, you think of like a dog having really great hearing and they do, they have much better hearing than humans, but humans have surprisingly good hearing. For like sure. You wouldn't even think about that. And all of that points to God's intention in not just verbal audible things, but in song specifically. Right. Uh,
1: obviously I'm totally on board with that. I mean, th- this is going to maybe be a, a controversial statement that I'm about to make. So everybody get ready. Um, oh, I yeah. don't, my personal conviction is because music is so powerful both as a medium of garnering and expressing emotion and also because of what it teaches and reinforces us by way of what the lyrics how they embed themselves in our mind my personal conviction is i listen only to christian music i quote unquote christian music or music that is coming from a scriptural worldview and as i mentioned before that style of music that i enjoy is probably not everybody else's style it's like on the harder side although I, I listen to lots of different things. But that conviction for me is born out of being exactly what we're talking about. And I really feel strongly that it's not wrong to listen to secular music because God has made noise by design. And therefore, in a sense, all music brings him glory because it's just borrowing from the great sovereignty of God that he's displayed in our world by fine-tuning all of these wavelengths to be pleasing or to do be displeasing. But I really feel strongly that the the Christian life should be filled with some measure of really good, theologically sound, beautiful music. Because not only does that lead in us great doxology, but because it causes us to do the exact thing we've been talking about, internalize and metabolize the scriptures. And I really think that all Christians would would benefit from making sure that that's a steady part of their diet of listening. That it's at least balanced, but perhaps even more weighted towards really good music that sets God like vertically as the source of the inspiration and as the object, both in its expression and its its application. But that may be kind of a controversial statement.
0: Yeah. I mean, I, I think you're right. Like we, just like we have to be careful anytime we consume any kind of media, because everything that we take into our mind gets digested and, you know, metabolized into our hearts and our spirits. That was like a super corny way to say it, but I just like, use the same words, So you're good. <laughs> yeah. Everything we, everything that we use or everything we, we take in ends up in, in our spirits, in our hearts. And then it comes out. Right. So if you're listening to music, yeah. that's like really aggressive. Um, not that there's anything wrong with aggressive music, but there are studies that will show like an elevated heartbeat is an automatic response to something with a strong beat. So, like, there are physiological responses that we should be aware of. That's not to say, like, that's necessarily bad, but the the kind of music you listen to, the style of music that you listen to, all of that should be intentional. So I don't have a problem with listening to, like, screamo music. I know that that's a genre that you really like. I personally yeah. have a problem with it because I think it sounds terrible, but <laughs> I don't have a theological problem with it. Some people would. Some people would say that, that somehow is not a, as a song type that's not suited more you know, fitting for a Christian. I think that's kind of bunk, but we have to remember that like certain kinds of sounds elicit certain response in us and for we should sure. be intentional as we're doing that.
1: For sure. Yeah. That's basically where I'm coming from is, and and there's lots of like interesting things in the scriptures about, especially in Psalms as David's giving direction, you know, sometimes it's, it is actually like shout for joy to the Lord or praise him with clanging symbols. Like, I mean, that's my jam right there. I'm, I'm yeah. totally done with that. But then also <laughs> We want the kind of more contemplative stuff. And this is where, again, we sometimes get caught up in the difference between style and substance. And that's just just always a debate. One of the things I want to kind of pick up on that you said was when we have this conversation generally, not necessarily you and I, but kind of on a larger basis, there is always this division between like where emotion or emotionalism comes in. And I think, well, you can tell me, but I think what we're both saying is that, you know, like emotionalism is basically pursuing feelings as an end to themselves. It's not necessarily wanting to feel something with with no regard for how that feeling is produced or its ultimate purpose. And in contrast, like when we come to worship on the Lord's Day and we realize that singing helps express or engage our emotions, what we're saying, I think, or at least what I'm saying, let me say this, is it's meant to express that... Um, a response to who God is and what he's done. So vibrant singing, in my opinion, enables us to combine truth about God seamlessly with a passion for him. So it's doctrine and devotion, not the podcast per se, but it's <laughs> it's both of those things. It's, it's mind and heart. So like, I mean, is that fair for you? Like how, how do you, I guess when somebody says like, well, what is the proper place for emotions in singing on the Lord's day? How do you yeah. answer that question?
0: Well, I mean, I think, You have to be careful because like we can very quickly slide into like stoic and platonic like philosophical ideas that have influenced our culture where like sort of like a dispassionate discourse is the ideal and like our emotions are subservient to our our reasoning right right? so plato had the the um the concept of the, the the chariot right there was the one horse that was like your passions. There was one that was like your appetites, and then there was your reason, was like the chariot driver who's keeping them under check. And we can very quickly slide into that, especially I think in the reformed tradition, we very much want to be like, well, we think, and we, you know, we maybe feel once in a while we feel something, but like we, <laughs> we only feel something if we thought about it really hard. That's but that like should be a bumper sticker. Yeah, we, we, in the reformed tradition, we think and we don't feel. But I mean, we have to remember that like God created emotions. They're not they're not a result of fault. They're messed up up because of the fall, but they're not a result of the fall in themselves. And so I think, you know, I think that emotion has a place in every activity as a Christian. Mm. And I don't, I can say personally that as I've grown in my faith and as I've grown closer and closer to God, my life has become a more emotional life. And that's not just, um, like, this is a silly example, but like I cry at movies more. And, like, it's not just, like, I, I like, become a crier, but, like, the the themes in the movie, they impact me harder. Hmm. Or, um, you know, I was watching America's Got Talent, and there was a story about a, um, like, a kid who was adopted, and his mother came out and said, like, he's my son. Like, it, there's, there's no qualifier, he's just my son. Hmm. And, like, I'm, I'm finding tears coming down my cheeks. And it's not because I'm some, you know... Irrational person driven by my emotions, but everything that I am is, is deeper and, and more vibrant because Christ has made me and is making me into more of who he is. Christ was a very emotional person as a human. So, you know, he wept over things. He got angry. He laughed. He, you know, all these different things that we don't necessarily think of him as. So I think emotion is a part of our, our sung worship, just as much as our rationality is. It's when, like as you said, it's when we pursue emotions for the sake of emotions that I think that becomes a problem. I've never thought about it that way. That's really interesting that maybe there's a connection between
1: our maturity and our ability ability or willingness to be emotional at the right times. And it strikes me that there, I don't know, I want to ask you if there are some songs that hit you this way as well, but there are some pieces of music that really hit me hard. And for whatever reason, like it is well, third verse, when it speaks about. Our sin, not in part, but the whole, is nailed to the cross, and I bear it no more. Even me saying that, I want to get teared up. This is going to be like the Reformed emotional cast in a minute. (laughs) But whenever we sing that, that always hits me really hard. It's a combination of those words and the swell of the music at that time, but that really cut right through me. And it's something, you could could express the truth to me in words, and we have talked about that but it's something about the combination in that beautiful lyric and the weight of that lyric and the truthfulness of what it is representing that hits me hard. And I can't explain it. Like I don't know why that lyric as above others hits me particularly hard, but it just does. Yeah. I can explain it.
0: Yeah. I mean, I know, you know, you lead worship, do you lead worship every week or are you on a rotation? I'm on a rotation. Okay. So, um, Ashley and I were part of a small church. We've talked about that before. Ashley and I are the worship team. So every week we um, we do worship and um, musical worship. So there's not a lot of time for me to like think about what I'm singing. And I don't sing because I, I'm not a great guitar player. So I have a tough time singing and playing at the same time. But I remember, um, I don't remember exactly what it was. Every once in a while, Ashley will do a, a closing chorus and I don't go back up. I just stay with the congregation. And I think it was um, Jesus Messiah, Chris Tomlin, I think. Yeah, um, that's and it. the, the chorus, I will rise. And I just remember singing that. And I just, I just lost it. Like I'm already a not great singer, but I was just, a I was a mess. And, but I was a mess in like all of the right ways. It wasn't, right, you know, this right. emotional, I've disconnected my rationality. It was like, I was drawn into the song to contemplate the reality of Christ rising on my behalf and me following in his train and all of that all that comes with that and it it brought me to tears
1: Amen. and
0: i can't say i mean I, I there's been times where like i've put down a the, like a systematic theology book to wipe away tears or i've been listening to a podcast and somebody says something just the right way that expresses theological truth that i feel tears forming but it doesn't ever happen as much as it does with songs. or And for me, mu- like movies, good storytelling does it too. But especially song, it just touches that spot in a way that other things don't. And I know we said earlier that that's not the reason God tells us a sing, But isn't it great that God has built into yes. us that as well? He's given us that grace that even though that's not the point, it's still an added benefit. Yes. So what strikes me
1: what you just said that I've never thought about before is that maybe proper emotion is a bit like revival. It's a work of the Holy Spirit that's unsurprising and unexpected because that's a, when you articulated that, that's exactly how I was feeling about it as well. It's almost like it hits me and surprises me every time. I'm not like yeah. try, I'm waiting for it. I'm not like trying to work myself up to feeling like I'm going to be particularly teary-eyed. It's just that I'm trying to be obedient to God through singing. I'm trying to express my thankfulness to Him and to express that He is worthy of this kind of response. And then all of a sudden, for whatever reason, am like, I'm undone in a way that's totally yeah. inconvenient, especially if like you're, you're singing with other people or you're singing in a way that you're trying to lead other people. Yeah. And one of my favorite quotes from John Piper about singing in particular and emotional uh, response is something he said, I think this is from a sermon, but he said singing is the Christian's way of saying God is so great that thinking will not suffice. There must be deep feeling and talking will not suffice. There must be singing. And yeah. that, kind of hits me right where I'm at because I know that especially in our modern context, there's a lot of emotionalism, a lot of charged sense of emotional response that's trying to be built into singing so that there's some sensibility that this this service is going well. I mean, I think a lot of times we respond, even as well-intentioned Christians, we're trying to get a sense either immediately or in ex post facto, how good was the service? Did right. God show up? Was there the, the presence of God? Uh, in the service, and we usually take that by measuring the pulse of well, what was the musical response like? Yeah. Did a lot of people raise their hands? Was there people? Were the people standing? Did people seem into it? And I get why we tend to go there, but again, I love the form tradition. Kind of, kind of pulls us back a little bit. um I, Again, I do think we need to make a bumper sticker for the we only feel something if we thought about it first. <laughs> but <that> was, yeah, <laughs> that was so
0: good. Yeah, and I mean, I think. Um, we have to be aware of ourselves but at the same time one of the things that i found so i don't know what the word is i found so comforting or so refreshing about the reformed tradition as i've really understood what it means to be an ordinary means grace means of grace church is that we don't we don't have to measure the t- the spiritual pulse of the congregation we don't have to we don't have to look and say like well of the congregation raised their hands this week. So it must've been a bad week because we have promises from God. And those promises are, uh, on the Lord's day, if you gather in my name and you sit under the word preached and you eat this bread and you drink this wine, I will be there with you. Mm -hmm. Period. Like boom, full stop. And like whether or not everybody raised their hands or people were staring at the ceiling, whether, Everybody was weeping or somebody, you know, started laughing in the middle of the song because somebody missed a note. Like all of those things are irrelevant because God has promised to meet us in this way at this time in this gathering period. And like, to me, there's something so beautiful about that because we don't have to rely on our own ability to, for me, like I pinched a nerve in the middle of a song today playing guitar and my thumb went numb, like completely numb. (laughs)
1: And it's it was a song a with a lot of,
0: thing. a lot of barcode chords, barcodes, a lot of bar chords, <laughs> And like halfway through the song, my hands stopped working. Like, what do you do with that? Yeah. Well, if it was up to me, I just ruined church. Right. Yeah. But it's not up to me. And that's the beauty is I could, t- I could step back and I could say, all right, I can't play bar chords anymore, but I can, I can switch real quick to just holding down the chords at the strings I can and only playing those chords. Mm-hmm. So you can compensate, but I don't have to worry about the fact that like I screwed up the service because right. it's it's not my playing, actually singing all of those things are very good and important, I think, but they're not they're not what God has promised to meet us in right on, and there's that, something really that, beautiful in that
1: that's very freeing. I receive that word because if if you've had the responsibility of being a part of a service where you're either bringing to bear music or some other facet of it, you know the pressure of feeling that there is something to be said for good and strong preparation, wanting to do something with excellence. But then also at some point, there's this tendency to cross over the line, even subtly to feel like, well, it depends on me. If I don't do it exactly right, there's going to be something that goes horribly wrong and the experience is going to be all for naught. And maybe that's because we're trying to experience something instead of be in the presence of God and just act under that obedience.
0: Yeah. Funny story about experience and how fickle it can be is this is really terrible. But when I was in college, I went through kind of a cynical phase. I was starting to become reformed and and you may, maybe can call it a little bit of a cage stage. Um, I was starting to become reformed and I was starting to get disillusioned a little bit with sort of the emotional driven, predictable worship. And so I was in a big church that I was very charismatic and I actually would periodically, um, when a music note was when I could sense a swell in the music, I would stand up and put my hands in the air and then I would sit down real quick and I would watch the whole crowd like respond to me, right? To me doing something cynical to elicit a response. And then all of these people who later, if you were to ask them would say that it was a move of the Holy spirit. And I'm going, no, it was me being a snot nosed, you know, sarcastic, um, cynical college kid playing a prank. I guess maybe it was the Holy spirit using me. That's possible. But Not from my perspective. I was trying to disrupt things. I was trying to prove how fake everything was. Um, And sometimes God uses those kinds of things to move powerfully. And those people probably had a very strong emotional experience of God and they connected and they were worshiping. And I'm glad that God could still use what was going on to bless those people despite Mm -hmm. my, my arbitrariness. But we very easily can see that a lot of these things are, are manufacturable, And oftentimes are manufactured. So that's something too, that I think, you know, for me, as I play guitar, I'm very conscious of the fact that like, I can, I can bring about a certain kind of emotional feeling by changing the way I'm strumming or, or the way I'm picking or strumming in a different place. I can, I can bring about a certain emotional feel if I want. And there's a place for that, right? You're not, you're not passive when you're leading worship, you're active, you're actually teaching and doing things. And so you, you do certain things to bring people to a place that you want them to go, to connect in a certain way with the music and to connect with God and to teach them with you know wisdom the way that that passage in Colossians tells us. But we also can be very careful because we can very quickly slide into manipulating people, yes, um, which is not a healthy thing to be doing either.
1: It's not. It's got to be some of both. And hopefully everyone has the kind of worship leaders, which I really, uh, to be honest, I just like that term because that responsibility has been vouchsafed vouchsafe to us all by way of the decentralized right. priesthood of believers there is the sense though, that those who are standing before the congregation hope everybody has people in that position who they can sense are not concerned about creating a program or manufacturing something because it works and it's a list of response yeah. but that does drive me to something that in my mind has been closely related. So especially in reform tradition, and, and there's two things I think we we tend to shy away from as reformed people. One is emotion and the second is physical expressiveness <laughs> in worship. Like that because yes. either for, for good reason, because like you said, we've seen that abused and we want to be really thoughtful about our approach. Especially if we're operating under, you know, kind of a, a reform perspective that's making worship one of the most important things that we do. But here's one of the reasons why I think that we are commanded to sing is because singing is an act that requires more physical engagement than just listening and even more than speaking. So just in a physical sense, and this blows me away, but when you sing, even on just like a couple of lyrics, we're using our diaphragms, our lungs, our throats, our lips, all this stuff is working together to produce musical sounds for the glory of God. So, I mean, your voice obviously isn't the only way you can teach and admonish others when you sing. I mean, your emotional, though, and bodily engagement can encourage others to think about the greatness of God with what you're singing to. So maybe you tell me, Tony, like, I don't know where I am on the spectrum, because I'm certainly not super charismatic. Like, I've been to churches where, like, they run down the aisles and they have, like, these giant flags. Yes. And and generally what happens is I'm like, dang, that's a big flag. And then I'm totally, I'm totally distracted, but I, I am the type of person that thinks like there's a wonderful movement to music and to worship through music and I'm going to move. So I, you know, I want to express that bodily in a way. And I think that is another way of of encouragement. So I don't know, where am I on that spectrum or where are you on that spectrum? Um,
0: I mean, I think I don't, I don't see any problem with, um, movement or certain like taking a particular position or posture, um, in worship where I, I'm kind of in the same place, I think, where you are, that a person has to be aware of where they're at in space and in relation to the people around them. (laughs) We used to have this prayer worship gathering in college. I'm talking about my college years a lot for some reason tonight. But I remember um, we were doing communion, which it wasn't a church. We probably shouldn't have been doing communion, but we were. And I was walking down to take communion. And this girl, like, took her arm and I said, i say that she did, like, a praise karate chop because she like shot her arm out to the side and like chopped me right in the throat she and throat chopped you. she throat chopped me right in the middle of worship. And she didn't even notice that was the weird thing, but she was in a totally inappropriate place to be th- flailing her arm. Not that there's ever yeah. an appropriate place to be flailing your arms around, but she completely destroyed my, I hate this term, but like my worship experience, she took all of my attention off of God and all of my attention went immediately to like, I can't breathe. So, like, we have to be aware of not only like that kind of extreme example, but, and, and, you know, my hopping up and down and jumping and, and hooping and hollering, is that distracting everyone in the yeah, congregation? for sure. Um, if you're a charismatic person and you visit a small, you know, reformed OPC congregation where they're all very used to standing quietly and singing and that's just how they do it, um, and you're going to run up and down the aisles, they're probably going to ask you to leave. And that's appropriate. They can yes. ask you to leave if you're yes. disrupting the worship service. So I don't have, a I mean, I we have people in our congregation that raise their hands and I think that's awesome. Um, mm-hmm. I love seeing that. Um, but they do it in a way that's very non-distracting. Uh, um, I know that um, in churches I've been in the past, people who feel like they're going to do that in worship, they make a point to sit in the back so they're not distracting people in front of them. Um, so I just think as long as we're intentional and we're not letting those things become sort of the center point of our worship, um, you know, like <laughs> songs like, um, there are songs which indicate certain motions, I'm right? Drawing a blank as to specifics right now, but songs that have in, um, like we fall down, we fall down, we lay our crowns. There's yes. a very strong indication that like this song is about being on your knees in prayer. And I remember in youth group, like you watch kids and it's like, they're, they're following a script and that may be how God is choosing to work in their lives right there that God is using that, or it may just be that they're going through the motions and they're just trying to look good for everyone around them. And the song says fall on your face. And so you lay down on your face. So the song says, lift your hands. So you do that. Um, So just like, I think like anything else that we do, we have to be aware of the fact that our natural inclination is to make everything about ourselves. Right. And we have to take every action that we're engaging in and think is this about me or is it actually about God is lifting my hands something I do that makes me feel really super spiritual and gives me sort of a worship high, or is it something that I legitimately think is blessing the Lord with my activity or blessing those around me by what I'm doing with my body? Hmm. Right. Cause the
1: music shouldn't be a master over us. We shouldn't be its slaves. So it shouldn't be like Simon says in right. song, like we'll just do whatever the lyric tells us. Um, and yet at the same time, like there's got to be this juxtaposition because for instance, so if you're, are you familiar with the song, happy day, that, that chorus? Yeah. yeah. So that's one that like embedded in that has some kind of like appropriate, I would say like emotional demonstration. So, and I'm not picking on any congregation in particular, but, and I've seen this song at lots of churches and I myself have sung it many times. And sometimes with no great sense of actual purpose. But if you're singing happy day and you look out and it looks like everybody else is having like a mediocre to really bad day, <laughs> then like there's a problem with that. Yeah. Either we haven't really taken the time to understand what we're singing or we're not actively thinking about it, or have we, maybe we haven't yet been changed by it. But that's part of the the approach, the, the reason we're taking that approach and trying to sing. And one of the reasons why God says you need to sing, because part of it is, Listen, I know you guys are selfish people. You live in your own little world. You need to be pushed outside of yourselves. Yeah. And part of the way you do that is by singing. So I think that's entirely appropriate. I mean, the best thing that came out of what you just said, quite honestly, is the fact that you got praised judo chopped in the throat.
0: Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I think uh, one last thought, and then we should probably wrap things up a little bit, is we have to also. Um, I just lost my last thought. Oh it, no, it, it was, was a good the one too. Judo, I'm judo sure. chop. That's it was what did Was the praise judo chop? Uh, where would it go? Where did it go? I don't know. I lost it. It's a great it podcasting. Important.
1: I love it. It's going to come back to you in a second, no doubt. It is. It's going to come back to me in a second.
0: I don't know.
1: It's well, let me let far. me say this in the meantime, like by way of encouragement, and I'm really kind of preaching to myself, but because, like we said, music is one of those things that can just be polarizing to people, especially in the context of gathered worship. One of the things that kind of in closing, that the Lord's been teaching me about why we sing and why it's a mandate, why it's important is this idea of edification, which a lot of what we spoke about, even be, like you said, being self-aware, not being distracting, is about making sure the experience is edifying. It's, it's right. teachable to others. And for me, that means there might be times when our most sincere worship, and God has really been pressing this on me, our most sincere worship is singing a song we don't prefer because we know somebody else is helped by it. Yes, And it's one way that we can let the peace of Christ rule in our hearts and count others more significant than ourselves. So I've been trying to remember when that like newfangled chorus comes about, or really that, that maybe it's for some people that really old hymn that's not that catchy and goes really high and you can't sing it, comes on, to remember that we are doing that. We're, we're engaging in singing that proactively as if it were the most favorite piece of music we've ever heard, because we know that our brothers and sisters are encouraged and helped by it. And I think there's a great testimony in that.
0: Yeah. Which actually uh, leads me into what I was going to say. Well, yes. is that the the other thing about singing that I think is unique is that it's one of the few things that we do as a church where we all do exactly the same thing at the exact same time. Yes, Good So point. there's a, there's a, it's an expression of our unity in Christ in a way that not, there's not much else that expresses it the same way. And it's, it's a thing that like, you don't see a lot of in the rest of the world, even like concerts, like people might be singing, but they don't sing because they think they're unified with each other. But when we sing as Christians on the Lord's day together, we are, we are engaging in an activity that unites us to each other. It unites us to the Lord. And it, it's, it's patterned after what will be happening spiritually in heaven forever. And so I, I know some guys that, um, they hold exclusive psalmody convictions, um, but they don't go to exclusive psalmody churches. And their resolution for that is, well, I'm just going to sit here with my hands crossed and I'm going to think about the words, but I'm not going to sing. Mm-hmm. And I get that they're in a tough position, but right there what they're doing is they are putting themselves at disunity with the body. And in some ways that's appropriate because they're already not at unity with the body theologically that they're a part of. And so that that theological disunity is sort of presenting itself uh, physically in, in a real acted out way. But they're they're actually disrupting the unity of the the gathered body when they do that and i i just think it's so important for us to recognize because like we said earlier there's particularly among men singing publicly, and it seems like especially singing publicly in gathered Christian worship is something that just kind of gets disregarded. I am blessed to be in a church where every single man in the church, even the ones that don't have great voice, which I think in our church is probably all of us. Um, (laughs) we still sing and we sing loud and we sing together And that doesn't change. There are lots of times during the service that they're seeing that I'm the only one not singing. And that's just because I'm playing guitar and I can't sing at the same time. So it's just a beautiful expression, in my opinion, of the unity of Christ's body in a way that just doesn't take form in many other activities. It does not get any better than that.
1: So presuming that people would like to get in touch with us and complain about our singing, Tony, (laughs) how would they do that?
0: Well, you don't hear my singing on this show. If you want to hear Jesse sing, you should check out Fast God stuff.
1: Because <laughs> um, Jesse and
0: Conrad sing a lot every single episode. But um, the, the best way to get a hold of us is probably through our Facebook group. Uh, you can uh, search for Reform Brotherhood on Facebook, and you'll find both our page, which you should like, and our group, which you should join. Um, you should also follow us on Twitter, which is uh, at Reform Brohood. You can email us at brotherhood at gmail.com. And we have a voicemail that if you want to call and sing to us, we would love to play that on the air. Uh, Matt Butts has left two singing voicemails for us, and I cherish them deeply in my heart. Uh, The phone number is 607-444-BROS, which is 2767 if you don't speak uh, touchpad. So, um, also, we would love it if you would stop over on iTunes or Apple Podcasts or whatever you happen to be calling it these days. Whatever whatever the kids call it these days. Um, You can stop over to Apple Podcasts (laughs) and search for our – it's getting late. It's getting late and I'm tired. It's 5 o'clock in the evening. I don't know what's going on. Um, Stop over at Apple, iTunes, and uh, leave us a five-star review and that would be excellent. We would much appreciate it.
1: We know you want to. So just go to iTunes right now. Give us five octaves as a rating and you'll be happy. We'll be happy. We'll be emotional because we'll be so appreciative and really it'll come full circle.
0: Yep. Five judo chops for the Lord. I appreciate Can we
1: just patent that move right now? The praise judo chop. The praise I, I'm chop, pretty sure yeah. I have seen that in action
0: before. Yeah. You can give us five, five hands up.
1: Yeah. Five hands up. And basically it sounds like we're going to have to come up with some kind of, um, what's the word? Like counter move for that. Like the, the praise judo block. I don't know.
0: Yeah. I don't know. I'll have to think about that. I should contact some people, uh, people who do martial arts. I shouldn't like email Jeff Durbin and say, I need, If someone was judo chopping at my neck, what would I do to defend myself? Better
1: yet, we should just have Jeff Durbin on the podcast, or maybe Jeff Durbin should just go out and give us five stars on iTunes and then leave us a voicemail. That would be excellent.
0: And you also accidentally recommended Doctrine and Devotion tonight. Not that you wouldn't recommend it, but you didn't intend to.
1: No, but it was uh, superintended by the will of God. I'm down with that. Awesome. So any last words, Tony?
0: No, I don't think that I could say it better than we already have. And I'm demonstrating as we get to the end of it, that I could say it a whole lot worse than I already have. (laughs) I actually can't think of any better way to
1: end this podcast. So until next time, honor everyone. Love the brotherhood.